This is Transistor.fm. In this episode, part one of our interview with Patio11, where you'll hear how he actually learned to program with graph paper and how he built his first product business. Welcome to Product People, a podcast focused on great products and the people who make them. Today, we have a very special guest, Patrick McKenzie, also known as Patio11, is here on the program. And our listener survey, uh, people asked for Patrick over and over again. And um, so we thought we should have him on. And Patrick's been making a name for himself at his excellent blog, calzumius.com. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Hi, thanks so much for having me. And uh, just a note, Kyle is home with a cold, and I'm battling a little bit of a cold, and it sounds like Patrick is as well, so this will be the sick episode of, uh, of Product People. Yeah, hopefully sick in a good way. That's right. Use that expression in oh, yeah, yeah. I, I hope it will be sick in a good way. Um, so, Patrick, I want to start by getting your story. So where did you grow up? And when did you first get into uh, computers? Wow. Uh, okay, way back in memory lane. I grew up in the general vicinity of Chicago in the United States. Uh, okay. I've been in computers for quite a while. Uh, my family didn't. So my family didn't really grow up all that wealthy. Um, that's an understatement. <laughs> okay. But, uh, we were in a uh, not so great district of uh, the Chicago public schools, and one year IBM donated them a computer. And I discovered that there was this thing called computer games on the computer. Yeah. I really liked that, but the teachers were not so um, happy with me monopolizing the computer to play computer games when there, there was only one in the school. <laughs> so I went to the library and got this book, How to Make Your Own Computer Games. And it taught uh, the basic programming language. So I taught myself the basic programming language, which was a little inconvenient because I didn't have a computer actually capable of running basic. So it explained how the basic language was interpreted, and I got a bunch of graph paper to represent you know, the memory in a computer and the disk, I'm sorry, the display. You're and kidding me. Hand, uh, I'm not kidding you. I wrote my own programs and then hand simulated them for fun. Um, <laughs> on graph paper? On graph paper. Oh my like, goodness. One frame at a time, you know, draw the dots, and then go to the next frame and draw the dots. And you can tell I'm a very um, special kid, right? <laughs> Anyhow, um, sometime around high schoolish, no, maybe late grade, uh, late middle school, uh, my family moved to a different neighborhood. Things were looking a little on the up and up. We got ourselves our own computer uh, that was DOS 3. something back then. Um, started playing around in it. Did my first uh, real programming with you know, a computer that would actually like run instructions um, at about the uh, freshman year of high school or so. I tried cutting my teeth on C. That was a mistake. <laughs> that did not kill my love for computers. Interesting. Went to college, studied Java. Uh, if you've ever read Joel Spolsky's article about Java schools and how they destroyed people's love of and talent for programming, I was yeah. totally that kid. Okay. And um, around the time I was going to university, my father had been self-employed for most of his life, and things were not going all that great. And he and my mother uh, told me in no uncertain terms that I was to give up any entrepreneurial ambitions and get a nice, safe job at a big megacorp. Huh. And I was reading the Wall Street Journal, 
and the Wall Street Journal was very big on all the programming jobs are going to India and China, and there will be none left in America. So I was majored in uh, computer science at college, but I thought, oh dear, I'm never going to get a nice safe job at a big megacorp like Microsoft if all I can do is computer programming, so I'll have to do one other thing. My idea was that if you play the Venn diagram game, the intersection of people who can do computer programming and any other one hard thing should be very small. Yeah. So even if there's like a million folks graduating from Indian programming schools every year, the intersection of them who can do that other hard thing is kind of small, and there I will get my nice safe job at Microsoft. And I thought, well, we trade billions of dollars a year of software with Japan, but most Americans don't speak English, most Japanese people, well, sorry, wrong way, most Japanese people don't speak English, and so if I became the one computer programming Japanese person who graduated in America in the year 2004, then I would have a nice safe job at, um, I had it picked out, I was going to be the product manager for the Japanese version of MS Excel, that was like my end career goal. Interesting. And um, so I graduated university with a degree in computer science and a degree in East Asian studies, which is basically, I would say, Japanese minds, Japanese literature. Uh, <laughs> am I good enough to enter Microsoft right now? And I thought, well, this is partially a self-confidence issue, but I thought, yeah, I'm probably not good enough to work at Microsoft yet. So I will go to Japan for a few years and work in an international exchange program, firm up my business Japanese, then come back and work at Microsoft. So when the International Exchange Program found out I had an engineering degree, they uh, placed me in a prefectural technology incubator in Kifu Prefecture, which is Japan's answer to Kansas. Uh, instead of corn, there's rice, and instead of uh, white people, there's Japanese people. Um, yeah, not exactly a cosmopolitan Silicon Valley type of area. Yeah. Anyhow, so there's five translators at this uh, techn uh, technological incubator, and approximately like one translator worth of work to do. So. I spent the three years of my contract with a lot of thumb fiddling. And after fiddling my thumbs for a year, I went up to the bosses and said, all right, we've got a uh, research and development group here. I have an engineering degree. I can theoretically program Java as well as a graduate from a Java school can. Will you let me uh, work in the R&D group? So they let me work in the R&D group for a little while, did some fairly inconsequential stuff with um, uh, We wanted to do a collaborative spam filter. So prior to there being Gmail and whatnot that had uh, Bayesian filters that were filtered over many people's inputs. There were Bayesian filters on a per account basis, and we thought if you could share the accounts together, that would be awesome. Um, mm -hmm. It didn't turn out working all that well, but anyhow. So um, concurrent worth working there. I wasn't really loving working at the company. It was, uh, well, not the company, the incubator. Um, it was pretty obvious that there was no career path forward for me in technical translation. Um, yeah. I have a funny story about that. I'll tell you the exact moment that I learned technical translation was not for me. Okay, I'd so, love to hear it. So, um, obviously they train you on this sort of thing. You go to professional conferences, you hear about the ethics of the profession, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the ethical things about being a translator slash interpreter is that you are not supposed to be part of the conversation, you are facilitating conversation from other people. So you aren't supposed to inter interject your opinions, and you are supposed to translate things exactly to the word as they are said preserving as much of the nuance as human as possible. Got it. So, I was once uh, translating for the governor of Gifu Prefecture, and um, there was an uh, international meet and greet at our technology incubator with the governor of Gifu Prefecture and the head of business development, uh, vice president for business development of IBM Asia, who is a, obviously she's a bit of a big wig, but she's mm -hmm. also a bit of a big wig who is also a very pretty blonde woman. <laughs> and 
She was quite popular with some members of the governor's party, including the uh, governor's chief aide-de-camp, who is a 65-year-old parody of a sketchy old Japanese guy. <laughs> and so I was introducing the aide-de-camp to uh, the vice president of business development for IBM Asia. And she said, hello, how do you do? And he said, you've got a great rack. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, I can't possibly translate that because this is going to blow up in my employer's face. So... I said, uh, he expresses the opinion that your dress is very flattering in you. And <laughs> I later asked a, uh, you know, a professional translator at one of our development courses, what should I have done there? And she says, you should have said in exactly that tone of voice, you got a great rack. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm done. Um, I can't do this job. Just, I could not bring myself to do that. Um, so anyhow, uh, my three-year contract ends up, oh, in the middle of things there. So I'm very under-challenged at work. We've got five translators to do one translator worth of job. Maybe we've got two uh, live events a year where I have to do translation, but uh, sorry, interpretation. But uh, translation, I've got maybe like two days of work a month. Okay. And the rest of the time is just spending a whole lot of time on the internet and on Slashdot and on the uh, business of software forums on Joel Spolsky's site. Okay, yeah. It's of things to come, by the way. Anyhow, so I'm spending a whole lot of time on the internet learning a little bit about search engine optimization and every other random topic I decided to read about, but I was really feeling like I was stagnating career-wise. So I thought, well, maybe I can dust off that entrepreneurial ambition and do some sort of like side project just to get my feet wet. Mm -hmm. And then, but the plan is still, after I get through this Japan thing, I'm going to go back to Microsoft. Oh, go to Microsoft. I've never been there. Yeah. And so, um, one of the things, because I was always asking my bosses for more work, this international exchange program that I was on has my division, which is the translators, and has another division, which is Americans, Canadians, UK people, etc., who teach English at Japanese schools. Okay. The vast majority of them can't speak a word of Japanese. Yeah. So there's 200 of them in this prefecture, and we have an email list that goes out to everybody uh, for things, basically life support, like how do I teach better? Um, I'm having this issue with my landlord. I don't understand what he's saying. I have this paperwork I need to file at City Hall, but it's all in Japanese. Can you help me? Yada, yada. Got it. And so because I can actually understand a bit of Japanese culture, because I've been studying it for five years at this point, can speak Japanese and can read Japanese, um, I've been encouraged by my bosses to stay on this mailing list like it's my job. Yes, I have very little to do with the actual job. And <laughs> one day someone says that she wants to play bingo with her class tomorrow. Ah. wants to uh, find a way to make bingo cards, which is faster than making them by hand. And being a somewhat smart aleck person, I reply all to the email list and said, yeah, there's this website, www.google.com. And if you type in bingo card creator software and hit enter, you'll get a list of 10 blue links. The top one is the one you want. and You'll be able to download software that makes bingo cards. <laughs> she writes me a reply back, yeah, I tried that, dummy, and it didn't work. <laughs> so I actually followed my own advice and looked at the software available for creating bingo cards, and it was just god-awful horrible. It could not possibly work for a teacher. The, the quality output was cruddy, and you had to manually do things for each bingo card, which defeats the purpose of making 40 bingo cards at once. That's right. Um, so I spent a day uh, just mocking up the world's worst swing app. Man, this was ungodly. It was just one text field where you would type your stuff in, and then it would dump... 25, XM, uh, 25 HTML files into your desktop. Okay. You would highlight all on the HTML files and hit Control-P, and Internet Explorer would print them all for you. 
was that the version zero of Bingo Card Creator. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, I uh, jarred it up, put it on a, uh, my university web hosting account, sent out a link to everybody saying, hey, there was this question earlier about uh, creating bingo cards. So there isn't a good way to do it. So I made one. You can go here and download it and follow these quick instructions to get past my inability to do printing in Java. And then, uh, yeah, things will work out great. And yeah. I go, go home and I play World of Warcraft for the evening. That's my <laughs> custom at the time. Yeah. I'm back the next morning. And I expected there to be like you know, three emails in my inbox, like usual. And there were actually 60. Huh. 30 of them were, I tried your bingo card creating thing. This is the best thing ever. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And 30 of them were, I tried your bingo card creating thing. It sucks. It doesn't run on my machine. What's Java anyhow? And you have to get this working today because I want to try this with class this week. <laughs> and so a few weeks later, I was thinking, what could I possibly do for a business that I could actually do when I'm employed and I could execute in a reasonable amount of time because I don't want to have this, you know, uh, like get a few weeks into this and then lose interest. And that is within my very limited skills as a programmer. I thought, well, that bingo thing. I know I can program it because I did, you know, version 0.0 of it in under a day. And if out of a list of a, maybe 200 people in central Japan, 60 of them were moved enough by it to write me about it, then there must be a market for this. That's right. So I spent, a, um, and I told my plan to my father. I said, all right, here's the plan. I'm going to make this bingo thing. I'm going to put it on the website. I'm going to sell it over PayPal. And I'm going to drive traffic to it with AdWords and search engine optimization, which is this thing I've been reading about for a year and a half but haven't ever done. And my father says, you should just come back to America and get a good job. I'm like, no, no, this will work. I'm, I'm going to invest one video game worth of money in it. So $60, and I will start selling it a week from now. And my dad, who's been in you know, business for 15 years by himself, is thinking $60 of capital, a one week to time to market. This is absolutely crazy. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so a week later, I do indeed launch with a, you know, a website created in Notepad, a logo that was created by a buddy of mine at the incubator, and the uh, world's second worst Java swing app that does bingo card creation. <laughs> and you know, I built it, and nobody came. I thought, hmm. Well, okay, what's the plan for marketing it? I don't know anything about marketing, but I do know that search engine thing I've been reading about for a year. Maybe if I fill a hole in the internet, then Google will have to send me people. And so since I've been dealing with English teachers, I know there's this thing that English teachers care about called the Dolch site words. It's a list of about 200 words grouped up into five grade levels created by an English pedagogist in the uh, 1930s that says you should basically know these words on seeing them. And okay. teachers hear about it in teaching school, and they know they need to teach it to kids, but they don't necessarily know what the words are for first grade. And they weren't on the internet anywhere. So I went down to the library, grabbed a book, copied out the list of the Dolch site words into uh, a per grade list and put it on my website, and then said, hey, if you're looking for Dolch site words, you probably want to have a review activity with your kids. Why don't you play Dolch site words bingo, which you can conveniently create with this bingo card creator. Here's the download link to the free trial. <laughs> and so got that done about a week into the business. And a week later, I had a you've got money email from PayPal, the, my first sale. He actually got a refund, actually. <laughs> it, it was a very rough version 1.0. Yeah. 
Uh, it could only print to the default printer, among other things. If you had two printers attached to your computer, my solution for you was unplugging one of them, and it would print to the one that was still attached, because uh, I didn't know how to do a printer dialog at the time. I see. And and how much how much were you charging at the time? Uh, so this is the most consequential piece of advice I got from the Joel um, Business for Software forums uh, prior to launching. I said, I'm thinking of charging either $15, $20, or $25, or you know a few pennies below them. And I'm concerned which I should go. I don't really feel that it's worth more than $15. It's cruddy software written by a bad engineer that does just one thing. And uh, uh, this gentleman, who I really owe a lot to him, he says, charge 25 and go higher after people start buying it. He says that engineers always underprice what they make. Hmm. This is something that I found true and true and true again in the last seven years. Anyhow, so I went with 25. And so I, a person who I did not know paid me $25. I'm like, wow, that's kind of amazing. Yeah. And then the next month, um, about $200 of sales, and these guys actually did not ask for refunds. And um, I spent the next couple of months just slowly improving the software, trying to figure out any of the marketing thing. I tried posting on forums. That was totally ineffective. I tried selling it on eBay. That was totally ineffective. But I got to the end of the year, and the um, just the one article on Dolph's site where it said sold $1,000 in a change of software, I think. Huh. Like, wow. And then, so I just continued doing that. And the plan was never really to quit my job and do a bingo card creator the full time. It was just my funny little hobby that had replaced World of Warcraft that I was having fun and learning some stuff. And, but the plan was still get a nice job at a, at a megacorp. So, mm -hmm. and, and by the way, what, oh, sure. what, what did your dad say? So after that first week and that first, you know, your first month, you had $200 and then the first year. Like six months later, I said, yeah, I sold $2,000 worth of, uh, of uh, Bingo Card Creator. It's like, wow, that's amazing. I would never have expected it to sell anything. <laughs> and uh, a year later, he started, this, is a, th this happens every six months. He apologizes to me again for ever doubting me. <laughs> but, uh, I, I totally don't hold it against him or anything. Yeah. Um, it, it does sound like a, a wild and crazy plan. Even, even knowing, knowing that it worked, it still sounds like a wild and crazy plan, especially if you have no tech or internet background. That's right. Yeah. Anyhow, so I got done with my contract at the incubator, and the life plan was still get a job at Microsoft. But I thought I really love living in this little uh, neck of the woods in Gifu in central Japan. I want to live here a little while longer, so I'm going to try to get a job at a Japanese company because there's no American companies in this neck of the woods. I mm -hmm. didn't want to move out to Tokyo and get a job at the uh, at one of the megacorps there, because that would require moving to Tokyo. And Tokyo is just a little too big of a city for me. Okay, and, and how big of a city are you in right now? Um, it's 150,000 people, theoretically, but it really has a small town vibe to it. Okay. I'm walking down to the train station, someone will come up to me and just say hi, ask, where are you from, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, okay. Um, anyhow, so um, in the course of my various dealings at the incubator, they loaned me out to their incubated companies and said, we've got this technical translator here. He will translate absolutely anything you give him for free. And <laughs> one of the companies had 3,000 PowerPoint slides of documentation for CAD software that they oh wanted to translate from Japanese to English. So that was two very long months of excruciating work. Oh, my which, goodness. Um, they took me out to dinner at the end of that just to say thank you. Well, that's and nice. So when I, when I got done with the uh, 
the contract with the technology incubator. I went to the uh, company that had asked me to do the CAD translation and said, hey, um, I want to stay in Japan a little while longer, and I was wondering if you knew anyone in this neighborhood who needed an, a bilingual engineer. And uh, so he says, let me you know, talk about this. And then I get a, call, a phone call from him three days later, and he just tells me, I need you to come to this station in Nagoya. Be wearing a business suit. We're going to talk to a guy I know. I figured it was just, you know, we're going to be talking to a guy I know. We get to the uh, uh, we get to the meeting place. They invite me to their office, and it dawned on me only thirty minutes into the wait, thirty minutes into it, that I was actually at a job interview. And um, but it was the weirdest job interview ever. Okay. Uh, because I did not understand the uh, so a my my contact with them was there and doing almost all of the talking. I was doing no talking at my own job interview. Mm -hmm. And I was slow on the uptake that I was actually at a job interview. And after I figured it out it was a job interview, I was not reading the signals right on how it was actually progressing. And so towards the end of it, they asked me if I had any questions. And, um, and I said, um, I'm, guys, throw me a bone here. I'm not reading the signals right. Are you interested in hiring me at all? And they said, oh, well, we had already made the decision to hire you before we met you because we owe this guy a favor, but um, you know we just wanted to meet you. <laughs> that blew my mind. Yeah, and I've since been, I've since been told from uh, by Americans that wow, those crazy Japanese people they do they do hiring totally differently than we do. But as I've grown older and wiser, I think a lot of jobs in America are passed in similar ways. That's right. Private networks, and uh, you know you've scratched your back, I'll scratch yours through mentorships, that sort of thing. That's right, yeah. yeah. So I started working at a Japanese megacorp as a salaryman, and I suppose that term needs a bit of explanation. A salaryman is basically committed body and soul to their company from the point where they join it, typically right out of college, till uh, they retire, typically at uh, age 65 or 70. Oh, wow. And they um, sort of the traditional Japanese ethic for salarymen is that you work incredibly hard on the behalf of the company and in return the company takes care of you in every possible way. They shield you from every risk. You will never be fired. You will get a 3% raise every year. You'll be promoted at the same time everyone else in your class gets promoted regardless of your performance. And huh. um, oh, BTW, you'll probably be pulling 100 hour weeks, uh, sometimes six, seven days a week. And uh, you'll be doing it for a salary which is, if you're an engineer, about a third the salary that American engineers make. But oh. This is the business you have chosen, and you understand this going into it because it's a, a well-understood cultural system in Japan. Wow. And having been around the block before, I kind of knew, eyes wide open, what it was going to be like. We had mm -hmm. at the job interview a question. They asked, uh, so, you know, we're hiring you as a salary man. Do you understand what that means? I said, yep. And they said, um, so are you, uh, are you planning on being with this company until you retire? said, well, candidly, you know, I'm an American. I can't promise I'm going to be in Japan for the next uh, 40 years. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I can promise that. And they said, well, we're taking a, a big risk hiring the first foreign employee of this company. Can you promise us that you'll be here for four years? I said, four years is a long time for a young guy. I think it was 24 when I started the job. Yeah. I'll do two or three, um, and I'll, I'll promise you we'll shake on that, that I won't leave uh, until two or three years are up. Yeah. Said, All right, we can do that. 
they said, do you have any you know, needs that you need? I said, well, um, obviously, you've never worked with an American before. I've never worked with it for a Japanese megacorp before. I think we're both going to be adjusting a little bit in this relationship. Um, I know that your expectations with regards to availability are a little bit different than Americans. And I'm just curious, about what time do people go home from the company? The boss looks a little uncomfortable for a minute. It's like, well, I know there are people who go home at 7.30 or so. And I'm oh, like, my goodness. So I successfully read the hint there. Like, yeah. There are people who go home at 7.30. So women go home at 7.30. Ergo, the men go home at 9 o'clock for the early guys. So I can afford to go home at 10 and not look like the lazy American. Oh, my uh, goodness. Yeah. So for the first couple of years, I was generally going home sometime around 10. And then that slipped till 12. And then in crunch time, that slipped till 3. Oh, my goodness. Are, are they more Are they more productive? Like it, No, no. Okay. Absolutely the opposite of the case. Um, there's a lot of time wasted in meetings and uh, a whole lot of staring at the wall, uh, reading newspapers, yada, yada, yada. Um, so the departmental standard is basically six hours of work in a 16-hour day. Okay. And uh, I made the mistake early on of, like working to the limit of my capability. Yeah. I taken aside by the senior engineers and said, hey, Patrick, you know, you've got to pace yourself. <laughs> and um, you're going to be here for many years. you got to understand, you don't want to make the older engineers look bad by being yeah. too much of a go-getter. I mean, work with due deliberation. Spend a little more time not coding up so many features. Maybe you should write a bit of documentation. Make sure you write it really well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Oh, boy. Japanese megacorps, they are s such a pathological work, work environment. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, anyhow, so, <laughs> I'm, so I'm an engineer at this Japanese megacorp, and theoretically I'm a systems engineer. Uh, and I was you know, coding on the uh, web framework that they used to make systems for um, Japanese universities to flip. And uh, so I'm doing this until 10 o'clock every night. And I came home and worked on Bingo Card Creator a little bit in the evenings. And so the only things I could do for Bingo Card Creator were the ones that could be done in about five hours a week. So okay. basically answering emails. And I figured out how to do A-B testing and set up an A-B test on my weekends and then wait for a week and then finish the A-B test on the next weekend, see what the results were, and then make a change to my website on the basis of the A-B test. Uh, for any of you who don't understand that jargon, an A-B test means you create two versions of the website. You randomly partition visitors to the website into one of two groups. You show them version A or version B. And it can be the case that having a particular headline or a particular button copy or that sort of thing increases people's propensity to do business with you or to download the free trial or to do some other action that you care about. Mm -hmm. So I was basically um, getting a 5% win in increasing conversion rates, increasing trial downloads, increasing sales. 5% win here and a 2% win there, and I just continued doing that for a bunch of years. And what was the attraction? Uh, like, why Why even do, like, you were working insane hours. Why, why work on Bingo Card Creator at all? Because it kept me sane. Okay. Um, it was my, so I quit World of Warcraft because we knew not enough time to do it and work at the company. Yeah. And... I, I grew a lot as an engineer in the uh, while I was working at the Megacorp, but I didn't really have much. Um, young folks in Japanese companies are not given a whole lot of latitude as to 
picking their assignments, shall we say? Yeah. And, you know, um, I had learned how to do a bit of web programming, wanted to do Ruby on Rails, and suggested, let's do some work with Ruby on Rails at the day job. And they're mm -hmm. like, uh, yeah, no. Yeah. I'm like, well, I've still got Bingo Card Creator. I can redo my website in Ruby on Rails. No one can say no to me on that. And um, so did that. Um, so this oh, gave you some autonomy while you're working for this big company. They, right. they, they would just assign you whatever projects they wanted, but with Bingo Card Creator, you, could, you really could do whatever you wanted as long as you could do it in a short amount of time. Right. And, you know, it kept me say, saying, it gave me something to look forward to at 10 o'clock every day when I would get off work because then I could pull out my Kindle and say, oh, you know, um, uh, well, so by the time I get home uh, at midnight or past midnight, Americans are starting to wake up, and I would typically have a you know PayPal message saying somebody had bought my software, and I would, yay! Yeah. Um, one night, so the last train from Nagoya leaves at twelve thirty uh, a.m. or p.m. whatever, thirty minutes after midnight. Yeah. And I missed it. I was still at the day job. Left the day job at two. Uh, not so much of a day job anymore. Huh? Yeah. So I went to the to the all night Denny's to get some dinner. Got dinner, got to a hotel at about 2.45, um, checked my email for customer support inquiries. There were none. Then I woke up at uh, 7.45 in the morning in time to catch a quick shower and go back to the office without returning home at any point. Oh, my goodness. And I checked my Kindle again for any customer support inquiries because I was um, very serious about getting back to people within a day. Yeah. And there was just a bunch of mail from, you know, you've got money from PayPal. And I quick did the math and figured... I made more money when I was sleeping for five hours than I had at the 19 hours previous at the day job. I Interesting. Thought, what the heck am I doing this for? Um, so uh, there was a lot going on in my private life. The bingo card creator was getting to the point where it was routinely exceeding my salary. I made the decision to quit the day job and uh, eventually did so in uh, the... Let's see, I told my bosses I was quitting right around Christmas 2009 and quit as of uh, April 1st, 2010. Huh. Uh, so that was, it's what, uh, four-ish years after starting Bingo Card Creator? Um, so that was, uh, I launched on July 1st, 2006. So, yeah. Interesting. Uh, and then wow. by that point, it was pretty obvious that at some point in the in the interim, I had updated my plan for Microsoft to. Uh, I was a little less enamored with Microsoft. Yeah. I really loved working with open source technologies after working in the Java stack, which I didn't like, but I loved the difference versus working with uh, MS and uh, working with the Rails stack, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, I won't work for Microsoft. I'll work for Google, and so I went to the Google job site and had uh, product manager Japan focused products uh, circled out in red on a piece of paper, and I that I you know, put in my desk drawer to remind me of what the goal was. Yeah. And uh, when I got done with my day job, I'm like, okay, should I go apply to Google now? And I thought, well, this entrepreneurship bug, um, this has been really, really fun. Uh, I think I'll continue doing that. And that concludes part one of our interview with Patio 11. Stay tuned for part two, available at www.productpeople.tv. And on iTunes, just search for product people and give us a review if you like what we're doing. Thanks.
podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.